Hey, welcome back to the Koinonia Podcast. We are excited to have Dwayne back for another conversation, and he's going to be talking with Pastor Brian and Eric about navigating when leaders lose their way. Parents, we just want to let you know that there is some mature content in this episode, and we just want to give you a heads up before we get started. Let's get into it. I'm looking forward to having another great conversation. Dwayne Harder is with me and Eric Vanderahe is joining us as well. And we had a, a really good conversation in our former time talking about our humanity, brokenness, and how God wants to bring healing to us through Jesus. And it's a journey we're on. And I wondered about the two of you here, if we could talk about the same type of focus, but in the context of leadership. We know in the bigger C church, um, there has been moral failures, mistakes made, um, leaders who have fallen, and that affects all of us, um, affects us as um, people who follow after Jesus, who listen to their teaching or worship to the music that is written. And so I wondered if we could have a conversation in the three of us just about what it means when a leader falls. That's a good question. What does it mean when a leader falls? I think in, and as we approach this, I think we have to understand that God himself has some, has, excuse me, some specific things to say about a leader falling. He said, if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And we have not accepted the responsibility of knowing that our behavior has a direct impact on everyone who's listening to us. Right. And uh, we, don't, we don't actually handle that as a part of our responsibility. And it is part of our responsibility. So when a leader falls, there's a breaking of trust that takes place. Because the leader has been trusted. And I, I understand the danger of putting a leader up on a pedestal and all the rest of that. <clears throat> but on the other hand, I think a leader needs to see that he is on a pedestal. He's, he's like a fish in a fishbowl. Yeah. And he's open to the scrutiny and inspection of anyone. And he needs to understand that when, if I fall, there are many people who are affected by that fall. It just... That's how God puts it. Smite the shepherd, the sheep scatter, because their trust has been, has been broken. If I look at the death of Christ, a criminal death, what happened to the disciples? Hmm. Uh, they wanted to scatter. They, yeah. It was like we had hoped. We'd, we, we were looking for something. We thought this was the Messiah. Yeah. And there's nothing that has come out of that to substantiate our hope. In fact, our hope is shattered. You see, anyone else could, one of the thieves could be crucified. What, it doesn't have really much impact. But Christ crucified has a significant impact because people were looking to him as the Messiah. They might have had the wrong expectation, uh, the wrong agenda for what he was going to do. But nonetheless, they were looking to him as the Messiah. And when he hung on the cross, it shattered them. Mm -hmm. So 
when a man who is carrying a fairly significant uh, leadership responsibility falls, there are people whose hope gets shaken because the, the, the sin taints the whole of the man's behavior. Mm-hmm. And we have to accept that. Yeah. And uh, as you talk about it, it it impacts a whole number of people, doesn't it? Um, it does. Not just the individual, male or female, who's fallen as a leader, but those watching, those close by. Um, Eric, I, I think of you as an elder here at Koinonia, and just curious to know um, what goes through your heart and mind as you walk along, say, walk alongside, say, me as a lead pastor, but then think of this context and, and what, how it affects what goes through your mind of others as you just observe leaders who fall. Yeah, so, and this is something that's been cyclical, I think, through, like you said, the Big C Church, for as long as I can remember, there's always, there seems to be a, you know, a few years can't go by and you see some of it. And my first reaction um, is, the natural one is, I want to distance myself from that. Well, that, does, he, that person doesn't represent me. Hmm. And I don't think that's um, necessarily healthy because that's me and my my humanity saying, "Oh, I don't, I got to distance myself from that person because I'm not like that person." Whereas I think our first response needs to be one of prayer for the person because I think we have to assume that person is still a Christ follower, is still someone that's going to need support and prayer, and so there has to be. I think we are the church still. And we have to have compassion towards that person. And as opposed to the automatic, let's distance, and this person is now a pariah or persona non grata. Um, and then to say, well, that person never represented my views. And that, that may or may not be true, but there is, there's, there's cases of uh, people that I've respected and I've had their books or gone to, heard them teach and stuff like that. And they've, and they fall and say, now what do I do with those? Right. Yeah, right? because we could easily think, well, yeah. God wasn't in their life, so it can't be in their content or something. Exactly. And I get rid so of we must everything. But then I look at my own life and I say, well, I may have not have had that public or uh, an issue of sin or, or a fall into my life, but I'm still not a perfect person. I'm still mm-hmm. not Jesus. I'm still, yeah. right? Does that mean that because of a sin that I've had? in my life that discredits all the other things that I've, mm. I've said and done when God has used me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dwayne, your comments on that, of what do we do with content and teaching? And- well, it, it's, uh, let me just back it up a little bit uh, in the association. Yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. you mentioned, I will distance myself. Yeah. yeah. I know that feeling yeah. very well. <laughs> uh, on, I mean, I've, I think the uh, way of life to me, has been looking for cracks, looking for where can I talk with a person? How can I see if the door is open? And, I mean, I just do that. It's part of my life. So I'm sitting beside a fellow and looking for a way to open the door. How can I have a conversation with him and uh, see if there's a possibility of putting a gospel seed in this in the soil? And as we got close to that sort of bullseye point in the conversation, he looked across at me and he said, uh, so what do you think of Jimmy Swaggart? Mm, right. <laughs> yeah. That was the third time that this had come up. 
I just thought, oh, God. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Let's leave Jimmy Swaggart out of the question. Yeah. <laughs> now, I said to him, well, what he did was wrong, and there's no question about that. I said, that does not represent the, the whole of the church. It represents the weakness of that one man. Hmm. And he just said, yeah. Makes you, it makes you, makes you question. And I just felt like God said, shut up. Like, you know, this guy's already got <clears throat> Christianity pegged in the behavior of Jimmy Swaggart. But I got off that flight and I thought, Lord, I wonder if he had any idea of the, how his sin would impact the world. I mean, he wanted the message of the gospel to impact the world, but did he have any idea of how his sin would impact the world? Mm. And something of the fear of God came to me at that point. And I think that <clears throat> that's what is, is, is missing in this. Like, once you move away from the fear of God, it leaves the door open to justification for any behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then taking this, uh, the second aspect of what Eric has said, that uh, which of us is without sin? Mm -hmm. So that I can hold a categorization of sin that makes his sin up here, and my sin is very menial. It's just down here. It's not too bad. Yeah, you see, and so that's a way of self-justification, which then alienates me. And again, the Lord, I think, has impressed on me. I was uh, working in an election, a BC election. It wasn't a federal one. I was helping uh, the party of my choice, which happened to be the party that was in power. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a couple, and I knew from the college from my my. Uh, speaking there, I mean, they taught there, both of them did, and were of a persuasion that was the other side of mine, <laughs> you know, pulls apart. Yeah. Anyway, they came up with a, we were, we were just sitting there, and he looked at me and says, well, Duane, what do you think of, uh, uh, oh, Oral Roberts' statement? that statement that he made, that he said that God was going to kill him if he didn't, I think, raise a certain amount for the Oral Roberts University, etc. He'd come out publicly mm -hmm. on this. You know, inside of me, I wanted to say, I'm not like that. <laughs> Calvary Baptist isn't like that. <laughs> this, is, this is fringe theology out here. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't associate with that. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. But unfortunately, <clears throat> I had a secretary in, in uh, Campbell River who was the personal secretary of Oral Roberts and talked about how she was impressed. She actually handled his personal finances, not the Oral Roberts organization. But him as but individual. But his personal finances. And said uh, she didn't know of a man more generous than Oral Roberts, just the literally thousands of dollars out of his personal income that had gone to help the poor. Mm -hmm. 
and was, you know, gave me a, a different picture. Yeah. So I, I, I thought, well, I need to identify he's my brother, which is what I felt God saying. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. He, the living Lord, is not ashamed to call me his brother. Right. Uh, I better not be ashamed to call Earl Roberts my brother. Mm. So I said to him, well, whether or not his statement is right or wrong, I do know that this man has given large portions of his own personal income, which is never made public, to help the poor. And I felt like God was speaking to me very clearly, Dwayne, if you're ashamed to identify with Oral Roberts, why would you think I would not be ashamed to identify with you? Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it yeah. was like a sobering awakening to me. Yeah. And so in that, it's being able to see where we identify with the individual, knowing that we're just in the same boat that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very easy for us to move into a mode of, as you said earlier, judging someone's sin or, you know, wanting to remove ourselves and criticizing them. Um, a spirit of criticism moves into to play and, and it, it divides the body of Christ, right? Because right. that's what the enemy's attempt was in, in trying to trip up a leader into making a bad decision. And so you can see the enemy at work to further alienate us, push us away, rather than, as you said, Eric, to draw us together, yeah. still pray for them. And Yeah, I got a kind of a question for Dwayne. Is it about whose approval we're seeking? Are we seeking, because all these are public and they're in the news, are we seeking our society's and our neighbor's approval, or are we seeking God's approval in terms of how to... Oh, okay. uh, we're yeah. seeking God's approval. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the main thing, yeah, right. Eric. That's why we're you know, upset about their sin because, you know, right. Well, right. I mean, hogwash. <laughs> We're seeking people's approval. Yeah. yeah. People don't approve of it. And or they don't approve of what looks like hands in the in the offering basket. They don't approve of, of being taken advantage of. And so I want to identify myself with them rather mm -hmm. than I'm identified here with God and with the people of God. And I will carry the shame of the man, even though it's not my particular sin, right. quote unquote. You see. So, what would that look like practically? So, let's say uh, we have <clears throat> another leader. Like we we've had some, like we recently. But say we have another one. What do you think we as a church, and I mean just as believers in general, how should we respond if? You know, something happens. There's a there's a public incident and so forth. What would you think would be the the appropriate response in God's eyes? See, there there's one aspect of it <clears throat> you touched on where it's prayer. Like, mm -hmm. uh, God forbid that I should cease to I sin against you in ceasing <laughs> to pray for you. So, when we get the news of something happening. Do we actually stop and say, God, your name is being dishonored. Mm -hmm. Your name is being brought down, dragged through the mud. Now, Father, I'm asking that you would show us how to stand with and stand for the one who's, who's caused mm -hmm. this. That redemption would come, that salvation would come out of this. Mm -hmm. And Father, mm -hmm. show us how we can work with you what it is that you want us to do in 
carrying this before you, since we've been made aware of it, are you asking us to, in some way, carry that person, mm -hmm. carry the situation in intercession? That's the one thing. Yeah. That's broad. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. When it happens personally, when it touches us personally, uh, you see, that puts us into a, a different place. Right. So mm -hmm. if, if I sinned, uh, committed adultery, uh, was acting fraudulently. You see, I think it would be in the interest of the kingdom of God for Koinonia to f ask God, how, how do we come alongside Duane and help him to walk this out <laughs> in, a, in a redemptive way? Right. right. See, because I think my relationship, our relationship is, has enough history that there's a commitment <laughs> there that exists yeah. between us. Mm -hmm. And so I would expect you then to take a posture of how do we act restoratively and redemptively right. in the mm -hmm. life of this person. Mm -hmm. See, I mm -hmm. think that that That's would correct. be a, a step of direct action mm -hmm. when it's within our circle of sort of responsibility, influence, yeah. and right. covenant. Mm -hmm. So I have another practical question. So let's say, I'll follow your example of that happened, and this is something, say, that had happened over a period of of time it wasn't new but it's only just been newly discovered so what do we do with the books you've written uh which i have a few on my shelf um the teachings you have like sermons we have he's sermons preached. he's preached and stuff like that you know how do we then view those then now with this other information and so forth and how, like be and because let's face it this happens all the time like you know we've had some significant leaders fall and they've had books and sermons and entire websites and so forth. And right. what do we do with that? Well, what you do, what you start with is you get your Bible out mm -hmm. and you cut out half of the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. right. Because somebody wrote those Psalms who made a mistake as a leader. That's right. Sinned. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Had a man killed. That's right. Yeah. Had sex with that man's wife. Yeah. 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 See, so what I'm trying to say in it we tend then to nullify what in actual fact God has legitimately spoken, given through the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to saying what he spoke. Jesus said, do what they tell you about the Pharisees. Do what yeah. they tell you to do. But just don't do that, follow their example. Right, right, right. Yeah. You see, and so truth is truth. I don't care if whether it comes out of the mouth of a donkey or whether it comes out of the mouth of a saint. Right. Yeah. Truth is truth. Yeah. Uh, I could look at Bill Gothard material. Bill Gothard was a significant man in dealing with the sexual abuse that I went through. Yeah. Significant. Now, is, uh, was his behavior all right? No, it wasn't. When he got called up and dealt with on... on uh, sexual improprieties, uh, I think, you know, it, it's, I think it's a disaster, mm -hmm. quote-unquote. Right. Yeah. But that does not cancel the fact that God gave him revelation. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be a yeah. fool to throw that revelation out simply because the man stepped across a line. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good insight. You see, and I, mm -hmm. I... I refuse to do that. Right. And, and it's so true of Scripture, right? As we read through, um, looking at each of the leaders in Scripture, right. we're all human, just as human as we are. 
Right. Yeah. And so, as you said, it was, it maybe learn from what God wanted to speak through them or through their life and not just follow their examples. And so appreciate that, mm-hmm. that word of advice. That's so valuable. Yeah. See, I was, I was sharing a, um, sharing the pulpit as a, as, as a phrase that used with a man in, at a conference. And I mean, this guy, I mean, he just felt like, what am I here for? <laughs> I mean, this guy just wowed you, and I thought, well, Lord, okay. You felt pretty small next to him? Uh, Pretty small. I smelled very, very small. Yeah. However, I was talking to a fellow. He's, he's, He's an older man. He was a spiritual brother to me, Uh, this fellow Mm -hmm. was, Bob was. And I said, you know, Bob... I just thought, what on earth am I trying to preach for when, you know, he knew this fellow. And he said to me, Dwayne, do you know what happened when he left and went back home? He said, the elders were waiting for him at the airport. And uh, they were dealing with him because they had found out that he'd been having a sexual relationship with three of the ladies in the congregation. Mm -hmm. Now, part of me just felt mad. <laughs> yeah. God, what are you doing? Yeah. Here we've got a guy mm. that's been living in adultery, and I forget how long this had been going on. And here he is, and, and, and you seem to bless his ministry. Yeah. And I felt like God spoke very clearly to me. I'm not blessing his ministry. I'm blessing, the, I'm blessing my word. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And I thought, yeah, I guess that's true, isn't it? Yeah. And I've heard a fellow say, Bob Mumford made this statement. He said, Do I, well, he said to a group of us, you have to understand the donut principle. The substance of the donut is God. The hole in the middle is the messenger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I thought, that's how I have to, I have to keep that perspective there because... God has worked <clears throat> with impure, imperfect vessels, and he's done remarkable things through them. Very true. Yep. See? Yeah. But there's still a hole there. Yeah. yeah. It's God. It's God's desire to bless you. If you're at a meeting with, uh, <clears throat> I can't remember the fellow's name anyway, he, uh, Ravi Zacharias, and, uh, and you are influenced, impacted, man, I've, I've been off on left field. I need to get my life realigned to Christ. Mm-hmm. You yep. see, God worked through the man yeah. because he loved you. Yep. And he worked with the power of his word because of his desire to see you brought to wholeness. Mm-hmm. It has, it's no reflection back on the value of the messenger that brought it. Right. That's good. See, and we have to keep that right. yeah. in mind as I see it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's a good perspective. The issue is a man seeking to extend the boundaries of his rule over a realm over which God has not given him permission to rule. Right. Does that... Yeah, that makes sense. And in this, he's trying to exercise his dominion and power. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've dealt with pedophiles, and I've asked, well, what was it? What what was the feeling? What was going through you emotionally as such? Well, I felt like I I had regained power. Mm -hmm. See, the issue isn't the sex of it. The issue is the power. And so when 
God even pronounced the curse. He said that uh, the desire of the woman would be towards the man. And we think of this as a nice romantic term. Oh, it's not nice that she has a desire for me. That word is the same word that's used when he talked to, to the son of Adam and Eve. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire yep. is to what? Devour. To control you. Yeah. So here you've got the desire there of the woman to gain control because man has plunged creation into this judgment. You have the man who now wants to use force and power mm -hmm. to gain his control. He will rule over the woman. Yeah. That's not a nice biblical term. Yeah. That's he's exercising power and authority over her. Yeah. So you've got a tension here. You've got the one who wants to gain control to avoid further disaster, and the one who wants power to assert his dominion. Mm -hmm. That's part of the problem. Yeah. And so if you're dealing with the sexual issues, whether I don't care who it is, yeah. what you're dealing with is the desire within the heart of the man to gain power, have power, a place of power that gives him supremacy over. Yeah. The sex is the way in which he gains that. Mm -hmm. yep. And yet the mm -hmm. woman says, all I have to do is flash a little bit of my body and I can suck this guy in. And you see, the guy comes in thinking, I've gained power, mm -hmm. and in actual fact, he's been trapped by the seduction of, I'm just showing you a little bit of flesh, I'm going to entice you, right. and yeah. we've got the disaster. Yeah. Now, if we, can, we begin to deal with it, you see, if we're dealing with it as a sexual sin, quote-unquote, we're missing the problem. Yeah. When we deal with it as the recognition of the desire to extend my government and use my force and power, whether it's my emotional manipulation, whatever it is, use my force and power to gain control, now we're dealing with more of the issue. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. consequently, in the restoration, when we're talking of the restoration of these people, what I'm looking for is the recognition with David where they can say, I've taken your place, God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've sinned against you. Right. Yeah. And I've used force and power in one way or another, emotionally or however it is, I've used this to conquer you and bring you under my government. Yeah, yeah. See, and that's why after uh, Amnon and Tamar, uh, I mean, he hated her. Yeah, after he abused her. Right. Yeah. You see, yep. it's like I despise you, I've conquered you, and I'll mm -hmm. set you over here. Mm -hmm. I could give you hundreds probably of situations Sex before the marriage, he conquered her, and then the woman says, I don't know what happened. There was just an emotional distance between us. Right. Yeah. See, because yeah. I've conquered, now I'll set aside. That, that's such a helpful definition and evaluation <laughs> of, of what the root is. Of right. Man operating outside of his realm of respectivity or authority. And, and it can work with, it applies to sexual immorality, it applies to fraudulence with finances, right. it um, applies to abuse of leadership, spiritual abuse in leadership. It applies all around, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It really yeah. does. Yeah. As you unpack, Dwayne, some of this context for us and where we as individuals really, but as leaders could easily go to, to walk out our personality, our character, our behavior 
um, I'm wondering how do we do this as a church community? And yeah. Eric, you've been talking a bit about this as, as leaders. And yeah. Would you ask a question related to it? Sure. So um, when I look at it, we have just a real emphasis within the broader church uh, on, on leadership and leadership gifts. And we emphasize, and you had the put on a pedestal comment earlier, but when I look at Scripture and Paul's writings primarily to Timothy and to Titus, the requirements for leadership were based on character. And if I look at in terms of our local church, how do we walk that out to ensure that our leaders, whether they're our lead pastors or other pastoral staff or volunteer leaders, how do we ensure that that gets walked out and there's that um, accountability in place and protection in place? And that is a very important and good question, Eric. One of the things that uh, I have felt personally and that we walked out in, in Kassagar in real detail is that we accepted as a leadership that when we met, we would be accountable to each other. Mm -hmm. And that accountability had to be specific. Where have I been with my thought life? Where have I been in any perusing of magazines, whatever? Uh, where have I been in terms of what could be a moral, uh, a moral temptation? And so we shared vulnerably with one another uh, where we were at in that. Where am I at in relationship to my wife? What, is, uh, what are the issues that my wife keeps raising, bringing up? We shared vulnerably, openly with that. We had, uh, we had as our commitment, our covenant commitment, it was virtually a covenant commitment, mm -hmm. that we were going to walk transparently with one another. And in that, we felt that God was actually bringing protection to the people, mm -hmm. that we would be honest with one another. And so <clears throat> uh, uh, in that as well, I, I felt I needed to be totally open with what I was teaching. Uh, is, do you see any discrepancy between what I'm saying and how you see me living? Mm -hmm. We walked that out, uh, I believe, quite impeccably, almost. Right. I think I could almost use that term. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I feel that for a church to have the protection it needs, for leaders, for me to have the protection I need, I need to have that place where I can walk with a group in vulnerability. That's good. Yeah. And uh, that is the greatest protection that I have, as mm -hmm. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. You see, the shield of faith, when, when Jesus was referring to the centurion, the guy said... I'm under authority, and I have people under authority. I don't have the right to bring Christ into under my roof, under my authority. And Jesus said, I haven't seen so great faith in all of Israel. Mm -hmm. And if you then take that and, and paste that on to taking the shield of faith wherewith we'll be able to quench all the flaming missiles of the enemy and see our vulnerability and accountability as a shield of faith, mm -hmm. it actually protects us from the fiery darts. Right. Because yeah. there's there's a practical outworking of that faith in a in a series of relationships. Beautiful, right. you see. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, in this, I could say, uh, 
to a group of, uh, to some pastors that where I was connected just recently, since Marva died, I've had to, I've had to catch myself relative to where my eyes are going. Mm-hmm. And I, you see, I feel that that's a protection to the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See, because in that vulnerability, I'm saying, stand with me. We'll pray together, and <clears throat> you will be a part of the shield now that keeps the body of Christ pure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does, yeah. Does, yeah. You yeah. see, it, and yeah. so that's on a on a on a uh, sort of a personal level, on a provincial level. Right. Like mm-hmm. we're we're bringing it down to the place where we live. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where it has to start working, right. that we, we walk in that vulnerability. And I appreciate it. And I hear that, Duane, as uh, right now or receive that as a call to us at Quinonia as leaders, yeah. um, not just formal leaders like my role as a lead pastor or Eric's role as an elder, but to all of uh, those serving as leaders, um, may we be in authentic mm-hmm. relationships sure. with one another, transparent and vulnerable. Right. I, I receive it from you as a call to this to walk in this yep. way because right. we sincerely want to have a, a culture that's healthy, that we walk in humility right. and walk in yep. unity with one another. Sure. So this word you've just given fits with that for us to be uh, real with one another and transparent. Yep. And and uh, also then, as I'm hearing you say, is uh, then we lock our shields of faith together to protect against the enemy's right. attack, to, to weaken the church, to weaken us individually. See, I made reference earlier to Jimmy Swaggart. I heard him on a, on a program, whatever it was. <clears throat> Somebody was asking, it was an interview, and they said, well, what do you think, uh, where do you think things went wrong? And he made the statement, and it was, I mean, I, parts of it were a blame shift. I, I recognize that, but he, it still had a, a significant impact. He said, I didn't feel that I had a trusted group where I could share my problem without them destroying me. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. See, and I just thought that is so tragic yeah. mm-hmm. as I see yep. it. Yep. Yeah. See, yep. because yeah. it's in that trusted relationship that I can say, you know, you can do with my reputation what you like. I trust you. I believe that you won't, mm-hmm. but if you do, I'm still trusting God in it because the greater good yeah. Is more important than my reputation. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Trust with one another. Right. So right. powerful. Yeah. Yep. Dwayne, thank you for speaking mm-hmm. into this, right. which can be an uncomfortable conversation. Um, because the church body wonders how do we now respond to are we skeptical of leadership? Do we trust? Right. And I think uh bringing ourselves and our lives into the light of Christ together um will strengthen our bond and our spiritual health as we walk in community as a church together. Yeah. Any last comments from either of you? No, I think that was a great way to end. Thanks, Dwayne. Well, thank you, fellas. Thank you. Dwayne, would you pray over us as a community Mm -hmm. and as leaders, uh, both volunteer and formal leadership, and uh, just, yeah, pray over us in the context. Amen. Well, I'm so grateful, Father, that... Your heart was for community, covenant community. 
that could reflect your heart and who you are as a covenant-keeping God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, inseparably joined together. And Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in such a way as to reflect that covenant that our manner of life would be of such that we would demonstrate the bond of unity that is there in Christ and the protection that is there in our vulnerability with one another. I pray, Lord, that we would see that we are given a sacred trust to carry the weaknesses of one another. And Father, we want to carry that trust in honor in a way that honors you. Thank you that we are called by your Spirit in meekness Mm -hmm. to restore one another. You said in a spirit of meekness, knowing our own weakness, our own brokenness, our own tendency to wander, Lord, we reach out to take the hand of each other and help one another walk in our walk before you. And I pray, Father, that you Mm -hmm. would continue your work of grace within us for your name's sake, for your kingdom's sake, Lord, Mm -hmm. in order that the world would Mm -hmm. know that of the the glory and majesty of who you are, God, Mm -hmm. and your ability to restore and renew. Mm -hmm. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, Mm -hmm. for each of these, for each one who's listening, I pray that they would not be afraid to step out in vulnerability, that they would not be afraid, Father, to walk with transparency. And I ask, Lord, that in the power of your Spirit, we would be able to carry that with one another in a way that would glorify you. And I thank you for that now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks, Dwight. What a great conversation that we had in today's episode. If you took something away, why don't you share it with someone? If you know someone that could benefit from hearing what you just heard or seeing what you just saw, why don't you share it with them so that we can all continue to have these conversations about things that we deal with in everyday life and this journey that we're on because we are all better together. Make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes and we will see you in the next one.